0: Open the door to the most powerful room in housing. Built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress, The Gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is once again, lead analyst Logan Motoshami to break down what's happening with mortgage rates, which have just risen again. But first, here's a word from our sponsor, United Wholesale Mortgage.
1: I'm Diego Sanchez, Chief Operating Officer of HW Media. And I'm here today with Melinda Wilner, who's the Chief Operating Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Melinda, so good to chat with you today.
2: Great to chat with you as well. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So let's dive right in. With mortgage rates in the fives and sixes, depending on the product, 2023 and 2024 will likely be purchase markets. Why is client experience so important in a purchase market?
2: great question client experience is always important in any market i would say being in the service business it's the epitome of everything so in this market um we know we hope rates will drop again one day so there's a lot of things that are out there on the horizon but just taking the client experience like our world is so noisy these days it's really become about the experience and how things are remembered to us it's easy to go to Uh, restaurant that's just middle of the road. And like, you don't even remember the name of it, where you ate yesterday versus something that has high, high experience. So in this purchase environment with rates going to go down again, one day, the likelihood that there's future refinances is very humongous, not only for the borrower to have a great experience. And I think a purchase is even more exciting than a refinance. You're a little bit more hands-on with the borrower helping them, you know, buy maybe their first home or maybe their final home or something in the middle. So there's a lot of time spent with it but even the experience for the realtors and everybody else involved is really big.
1: Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights.
2: Thank you again for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Logan, welcome to the podcast. And we are doing this uh, in the same spot. We are in beautiful Las Vegas for the ICE Experience Conference has been amazing. So uh, we get to do this in the same space. Yes,
1: it is. It's going to be a lovely conversation because a lot is going on right now.
0: Okay. Well, what is it? What's first on your list?
1: First on my list is mortgage rates are almost back to 7%. The 10-year yield as of this second um, hit 4%. This is Wednesday morning. uh, And also Wednesday morning is purchase application data. Day And we are back to, again, 1995 levels, which the number one song back then was Gangster's Paradise. Um, so the recent rise in mortgage rates has created three weeks of negative purchase application data. So the forward-looking 12 weeks of positive data that we had starting on November 9th has reversed itself to a degree. And now we want to track to see how long does this negative, uh, um, period, the duration of it matters, right? That 12 weeks that we had that were positive was meaningful. We see that in the pending home sales data. That was a, a big beat of estimates. We saw in the new home sales data, the next existing home sales report is going to be, uh, positive as well. But now again, the housing mar- market tracker was looking forward, right? So we want to look out and see uh, where housing is going. And what we saw this week and the inventory inventory down again uh, 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 on the weekly data. The year over year new listings data down again. Uh, and part of the tracker this time uh, this week, I try to give a little bit of more of a historical context uh, of how the weekly data is during this period looked. You know, back in 2015 and 16, and we had about 75,000 homes uh, being lit- listed ar- around this time, and we're down to 45,000. So. Um, we're not getting any help there. And even when mortgage rates were falling, we weren't getting much new listings growth either. So there's a lot going on here, which, of course, the forever battle now is going to be the debate on, is it a mortgage rate lockdown or is there more at play here?
0: Okay, we can get to that. But first of all, ah, oh, that so, that's bad news. That's bad news he- heading into the spring selling season if you're in real estate or mortgage because now you've got, you know, we already have low inventory, which means you're not going to have prices really come down. And then you've got these high rates again. So this is bad news, yeah?
1: Yes. And it's also part of the 2023 forecast was that, um, you know, did not think we can break below 3.21% on the 10-year yield early on. Uh, four and a quarter on the 10-year yield was the peak call. We're 25 basis points away from that. Uh, mortgage rates, seven and a quarter. I think uh, we were came out at 6.94% uh, this morning. So we're kind of still in the range that I thought we would be in because the economic data is still very firm. And this is something we've talked about, you know, uh, even going back to last year. If the economic data is firm, we're not going to get such a clean move lower. It's going to take a little bit more time. The growth rate of inflation is is falling, might not fall as fast as some people would like, but still uh, over the next uh, 12 months again, we always want to look 12 months out. Some of that data line, even the the Fed's own forecast is we're going to have a three-handle on the PC personal consumption expenditures, and that's kind of where they track. So over the year, it'll be more of a better uh, case to be made. But if jobless claims rise, that, again, that to me is the game changer. And we're, again, as part of the tracker, I showed, you know, we're still under uh, 200,000, both the headline and the four-week moving average. Those are historically very good levels. We head towards the 323,000 on the four-week moving average. That will be the Fed pivot past that point, but the bond market, again, will get well ahead of the Federal Reserves. Why, Sarah?
0: Because the Federal Reserve is old, old and, and
1: slow, slow right? See? That's just what their the n- nature is uh, of the beast, but the bond market isn't. So uh, as of right now, everything kind of looks right with the bond market and mortgage rates considering what the economic data is.
0: Okay. So tell me about that economic data, because from my perspective, it's like, what? why is, why is the 10-year-old going up right now?
1: labor market strong. Uh, the inflation data is that we've seen, and both the CPI and the PCE data, both came in stronger than anticipated. Uh, retail sales were uh, stronger than anticipated. So we're in a range, right? And this is my work going back to 2015. I do bond market ranges for the year. Um, so th- I try to keep that channel in check to what uh, I think it should be, unless we have a shock like COVID. Uh, when COVID came, bond market channel went out and said, hey, listen, we might Get down to negative uh, twenty one basis points on the ten year yield due to the, that event. So we adapt to the changes, and you know, after last year with the Russian invasion and the Fed pivot moving to be more aggressive, we try to create uh, bond market ranges here. And initially was three point two one to four and a quarter. We had that three point four two level we talked about in the tracker I said. Gandalf lying in the sand that was going to be a tough one to break. We tried three times, couldn't break it, and now we're starting to get up to the upper end upper end range. And we'll see what happens. So one thing that's that could be a risk here is some kind of market event, something said by the Federal Reserve or so, something in the nature where bonds get to be sold off. We saw that last year uh, when the ten year yield was. Uh, rising faster. The dollar was getting so strong. So I think one risk may be going out for the next few year. Does the dollar start to really get stronger? Historically, that doesn't really happen after that initial big move. But uh, that's something to think about down the line. But outside of that, 10 year yield mortgage rates look in line to what should, should be.
0: So when do we get the next jobs data?
1: Uh, it's usually it would be this Friday, but uh, it's going to be on March 10th. Uh, and again, jobless claims is going to be out uh, uh, every Thursday. The job openings data as well uh, is very important, but claims over everything else, right? When jobless claims start to rise noticeably on a weekly basis, uh, week over week. That will change a lot of the narratives that we talk about right now. But as long as claims are still low, uh, the Federal Reserve can talk all they want because that's their uh, key data line. They'll use. They're
0: not going to budge until until we get there. Okay, well, so we have had we are at the ICE conference, the ICE Experience Conference, which I mentioned. We've had several people come up to us and say, "You need to give Logan more of a hard time about the mortgage rate lockdown and the fact that he doesn't believe in it because clearly, higher mortgage rates do not help us." To get people moving to become to list their homes, now Logan has some data behind it that the fact that um, when rates dropped, we didn't see a big, we didn't see any movement there. But here's my question for you: As rates rise, will we see will we see even a pullback there? And does that not change your
1: mind? No, it doesn't change my mind for this reason. (laughs) When I talk about why I don't believe in a mortgage rate lockdown. This is an affordability issue. People weren't moving when rates were when they had 5% rates, when they had 4% rates, when they had 3% rates, when rates went up to 5%, it didn't matter. When rates fell down, it didn't matter. The inventory channels, the credit channels are all different. So when people say it's a mortgage rate lockdown, the reason I don't like that is that they're taking the nominal rate that is given. Right now this week, somebody who has a 3% mortgage is selling their house. And they're most likely gonna end up buying a house with a very uh, with a rate above six percent. That person is not in a mortgage rate lockdown because the total housing cost for them doesn't matter, right? Because if we use a mortgage rate lockdown premise, that means sales are gonna be low forever. In that case, it's just not gonna it's not gonna be the case. Even when rates came back down in 2019, it didn't really move the inventory channels much. Uh, We had rates between three and a quarter to 5% during the longest economic and job expansion and inventory slowly fell. People are living in their homes longer and longer. So the reason I don't like the mortgage rate lockdown premise, I just want to emphasize what is housing. It's a fixed payment. Your wages rise every single year. People are living in their homes longer and longer. So their total wages right now to what their housing costs, even if rates, uh, without rates moving at all, is really good right now. So when they need to sell, they have a reason, which means they're most likely going to buy another property. So it's not, in a sense, the mortgage rate preventing that. It's the total housing cost, affordability. Some sellers have a lot of equity. It doesn't really matter where rates are. Some uh, simply can't afford it. So I want to, I want evolution in this discussion to go back last 10 years and then go back to the year 2000, and show that credit channels back then were facilitating people moving around. Those exotic loan debt structures are gone. So it's back to old school lending and old school lending for somebody's family who's been in banking since the late 1950s. It's a long-term fixed product, right? So uh, it's not a mortgage. It's the need to move and can't move. And that, I think, gets the conversation into a more longer uh, time frame, which I would even take all the way back to the year 2000. And that's why... I refuse to believe in that word ever again.
0: Hey, you didn't pound the table. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a different take on that because to me, the for most people out there, what they know, if you're a consumer, you know, mortgage rates. You don't know you're, you don't know about all those other things. Maybe that's true, but in the psychology of whether you're going to move move or not, I think mortgage rates are one of the biggest things people look at.
1: It that would be an affordability premise, not a lockdown premise.
0: So it's basically. 30. It's, affordab- it's, it's, no, it's so- an
1: affordability. A, a mortgage rate lockdown is a premise that the nominal rate is the primary driver. And no, it's the affordability and the need to sell a move. And we have historical data that actually shows things have changed in the United States of America after 2008. And if people people weren't moving when they had five percent rates, and rates went down to four percent, people didn't move when they had four and a half percent rates. When rates went down to three percent. So even with the headline rate being higher and the nominal rate being lower to purchase it, they weren't moving as much. There's more at play here. And I know this is totally geeky, nerdy stuff, but the historian in me likes to take a longer term look at this and emphasize that fixed payment, wages rising, total housing costs are low. People weren't moving as much as 5%, 4%, 3%. The nominal rate is not. The lockdown is is trying to single out one variable factor, which in the equation I'm not going to accept.
0: Well, I would say that you are you are deciding how to define it. And so therefore, you're then deciding not to accept it. So that's fine. We can accept that de- definition. Uh, I don't know that I do. Let's talk about one of the other really key things this week, which is inventory. Right. We saw it go below. It, it keeps dropping. Do you think this is going to be the week that we're going to see? We, we've hit the bottom and now we're going to go back up.
1: Usually we start to get closer and closer to, uh, the zero line and it's not happening yet. So, um, when I start to see, uh, instead of 6,800, 6, uh, inventory following, when we start to get to like 2,100 and 1,500, then I I'll start to say, okay, maybe we're bottoming out. It's just, it's this is the post 2020, uh, reality inventory is just bottoming out later on in the year, but we do get the seasonal increase. So of course, places around the country, you hear these multiple bids every going around again. Uh, and especially in the Northeast, uh, there's just not a lot of homes. So millions of people buy homes a year. That's, that's, that's given. And when active listings are near all time lows and in certain neighborhoods, there's like two to three homes, boy, you know, just that, you know, 10 buyers right there would be going to look for a few homes. If there was 20 homes, then you have a lot more supply than those 10 buyers uh, uh, don't have to overbid. So uh, this has always been from the start of COVID once inventory broke to all-time lows. This has been a supply story, not a demand one. And hopefully now that existing home sales got down to $4 million and we're still talking about this situation, hopefully people can understand why I've always focused on that Nominal inventory level breaking to all-time lows at the worst time possible, and that has created forced bidding um, rather than if we had much more higher inventory levels, we wouldn't have to see this kind of a uh, 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 bidding war action in certain parts of the U.S., of course.
0: You know, in at the end of 2020 and then into 2021, when we had widespread bidding wars, I mean – you know people were getting dozens of offers on their homes people were buying sight unseen they're waiving inspections they're doing all these crazy things you know the the call was like home builders just need to build more we could solve this problem if home builders just build and and your your argument then was like why should the builders uh, build more they build more all they're doing is you know creating um, competition for their future building so they don't want to do that they want to they want to keep it tight we look at the current situation, and in some ways, it's a you know you can see why they didn't do that because as rates go up, then then they're in a, a tight spot. I,
1: I, I truly believe people misunderstand what the builder's business model is. It's here to build homes and to make as much money as possible. They do not flood the marketplace with supply. Um, a good example is you know when I uh, wrote about that recently, um, we have sixty eight thousand new homes available for sale. At the peak of the housing crash, peak 200, not even 200,000, near 200,000, they have to take a contract. Then they have to build a home, which takes 12 to 16 months. And then coming down to that wire, then they have to hope rates don't jump up fast enough to make the borrower cancel. So, um, i i've always believed in this you're never going to get help from the builders builders are simply building off of their own demand curve and oddly enough now they're very lucky because back in 2007 we had four million plus active listings and now we're at 2007 sales levels and we have under a million so they are being very efficient sellers and uh discounting uh prices and paying down rates to move their product and uh they're they're handling this situation with high much for higher rates better than i think what people anticipated but again their job here is to move product to have a lot of margins to work with uh, uh they they'll get it done where an existing home seller has to find another property see if they could afford there's all these different variables that an existing home seller has to uh, deal with a builder's just build sell buy next one bring it up here we go again over and over and over uh, they don't have a three percent mortgage rate that they don't want to let go they don't have to find shelter they don't have that kind of relationship with their uh, with the house that they're selling
0: I also think that you know this goes back to the the whole premise of uh, buying a house is how you build wealth in, in the United States so if you don't want the builders to be incentivized the way that they are which is through capitalism you're going to have to give them some other incentive um, you know you'd have to ch- change the whole structure of things I mean we give homeowners a tax, break right on their interest we're trying to we've set the system up this way so that people can gain wealth through home ownership if we don't want to do that then we have to change things at a fundamental level
1: and that's never going to change and that's why i say it's the housing dilemma right we created this system this monster is ours right everyone loves it and um so you can't just flip four or five decades of uh, uh tax benefits or um The premise that, you know, you build, you know, this was always my thing. How do you, I always look at housing as the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. It's not an investment. And I know everyone else thinks of it as an investment and a wealth creation, but when you look at it, shelter costs, it's different, but the system is not designed that way. So on one hand, um, you say, well, we need more homes. And then you'll say, well, let's take the mortgage interest deduction away. And then you go, no, you can't do that. Home prices will drop 10%, but that would mean more supply, right? So we're in that kind of situation. So I just, I just don't think you get anything majorly done uh, on that side. Um, but it's just the reality is that homeowners themselves, they're in really good shape. And uh, uh, they were in good shape when mortgage rates were at 5%, at 4%, at 3%. They live in their homes longer and longer their wages rise and then inflation comes or wages really start to rise uh, and now the the situation is with buyers right uh, uh, mortgage rates went up so much so fast and we see that that the seller is not listing their homes as much because it's an affordability issue it's not their three percent mortgage rate it's that that seven percent rate makes it unaffordable and uh for those that can sell buy another house, they're good to I go. I feel
0: like you just made my point. I feel like you always no, because, make my point. No,
1: because you and others focus on the nominal rate being the um, f- main factor of keeping people back. And I, my work has shown that when rates were at 5% and rates went to 4%, we didn't get much inventory. 4% to 3% inventory has been slowly moving, moving, moving. You can get sellers, but that seller is looking to buy. It's the affordability of the next purchase that is the main driver of inventory uh, increasing or listing. Uh, now we are, we, we've we we gone through this lock thing with 5%, 4%, 3%. Listen, their total housing costs were really low before COVID and it got even lower. So they're doing great. But uh, if they have a reason to move, and rates become lower, that means they're affordable, right? So that affordability is the issue. It is not the nominal rate that they have.
0: Okay. Well, we will have to continue (laughs) to argue about this. One of the things that uh, we had a a listener call in say, you know, Logan talks about how homeowners are in great shape and that's great, you know, right? And from a a 10,000 foot level, if you just look at like is this good for our country? Is this good for those individual homeowners? Yes. It's good for the housing market in the sense of like, there's no crash coming. Let me say that louder for the people in the back. There's no crash coming uh, because homeowners are in such good shape, but it doesn't help, you know, the people in our industry are in rough shape, right? I mean, they only make money if there's transactions. And so, you know, when we had the refis, that's great. But in this sort of limited environment where you have so few houses for sale and then you know rates keep rising that's not that's not good for us
1: it was june 16th 501 p.m. that's when i put the housing market in a recession and a recession is transaction volume sales down production levels housing permits are down even though uh, completions are still rising uh, there's a loss of jobs in the industry. Construction labor has not been hit like it used to in the past because of the COVID-19 delays. But we see that in other aspects of housing. And then total incomes fall. And when I think of housing outside of the construction area, I think of transfer of commissions, right? You know, uh, somebody buys and sells a home. You have commissions changing, loan officer, real estate agent, moving vans, stuff like that. That's, you know, that the economic impact so you're in a recessionary because you've gone from your six and a half million january sales to four million uh january sales in 2023 so that is a significant decline in in uh, demand and the only way things get better is inflation growth rate falls mortgage rates fall but they fall with some stability and what we've seen is that in this environment now twice now last year when rates went from six and a quarter to five percent, we had like three weeks where like maybe the stable and then we shot right back up to seven. Here we go again 7.3 percent 5.99 percent enough to get at least three months things are changing pending home sale guess what rates just went up again. It's very hard to have a stable market when you have rates go up and down because now the question is, What are we going to do with the people that applied with a mortgage and thinking, Oh, I was thinking of 6% and now, and then another situation is that what if you're a seller and you were basically, I'm going to sell my home and get another house with 6%. Now you're going through the process and rates are now 7%. So you see the, the mechanics of housing, it's not designed to be really fast. It's supposed to be the slow drawn out process because things are stable. So when you get chaos, you know, uh, it's not the best industry that could deal with chaos in a very short amount of time.
0: What we're looking for jobs to break, so that you know the Fed will either the bond market we, or, or
1: we, we don't need we don't need a job loss recession. We we need the growth rate of inflation to fall, wage growth to cool down, and jobless claims getting softer. Like the Federal Reserve has basically said they believe a recession is coming this year just because they believe their unemployment rate is going up they also believe the labor market gets better and that's why you'll get more supply of uh, uh um people coming in and that will put pressure on wage growth coming down i think that's their perfect scenario where you don't actually have a theoretical job loss recession or a big one uh just to slow down just to bring the growth rate now I'm, of course, not a 1970s inflation. I think those of you who follow me on Twitter, I bring it up every time. Anybody who tells me it's 1970s inflation, you are a major housing boom person. Rent inflation takes off. Existing home sales take off. Um, we don't have that here. And that's why the 10-year yield today is still uh, 4%. With all the inflation data that we've had, it's not like the 70s where it was this long, dragged out uh, inflationary period. The labor dynamics are different. The oil shock. But Housing was booming back then. Uh, I I don't. It'd be like us having existing home sales go from five million to ten million. So I don't. I don't think we have those kind of labor dynamics anymore. So uh, over time, things should get better. The growth rate of inflation should fall. Uh, It looks wage growth is already cooling down already. That will help the bond market uh, uh, over time, and that would be beneficiary for the housing market because it'll create a valid long term premise for things to stabilize.
0: Couldn't we get both? Couldn't we get two birds with one stone if we start to see the construction labor being hit? And what do you think the timeline is for that? So you've said that that didn't get hit because we have all the backlog. You know, the only reason that that um, the builders are okay and you said they got lucky is because they have this timeline that, you know, was just left over from the pandemic and it takes a really long time. They're working through those houses in contract. What is the timeline where we could start to see the construction labor get hit, which could also help the jobs.
1: I mean, you're looking at probably seven more months of, uh, you know, we're trying to work through those backlogs enough to where if the builders don't think they could uh, sell more, like housing permits are falling every single month now. Um, We still have more homes uh, under contract or haven't even started yet than we do active listings. So we still have a, a, backlog to work from. It really is how fast the builders want to go through this. And I think they are just going to make sure to milk this out as much as they can. Um, And then at that point, labor gets left off. I mean, traditionally right now, what would happen is housing completions would be falling with housing starts and permits. That's not the case. So we're still in the uh, 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 housing completion slowly rising. Uh, from the grave stage uh, so we're not we're not there yet on where construction labor but when that happens that's just one aspect it, to me it's still about the u.s consumer how much more can they can cons- spend and the the thing about rate hikes they have a lagging in- impact but uh, net interest costs are rising right it doesn't necessarily impact people with 30-year mortgages because they're fixed but everything else credit card auto loans all these other things are rising And uh, we see that in the data where it's not as cheap anymore. Over time, that eventually impacts consumption, behavior, and then retail sales get weaker. And that's where you start to see some of the layoffs in the service sector industry. But uh, uh, it's a process. And again, my six recession red flags, it was up August 5th last year. Um, The last time that happened was late 2006. The recession did not happen until 2008. And that's with credit getting deteriorated noticeably in 2005 and 6. So uh um, it's like everything else we take data one week at a time, one month at a time and we'll we'll see cracks in the system, just not there yet.
0: Logan, thank you so much for being on today running through all of those things for us and we will talk to you again soon.
1: My pleasure and somebody told me I looked cool this this time in uh, Las Vegas.
0: <laughs> yes, they did. Like, <laughs> he was being introduced and the lady was like, "Oh, you look so cool. You did have your sunglasses That's on So, so it was so, all sunglasses. Yeah. Thank you again. <laughs> Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the Rolling Hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.